Well, John, thanks for uh, joining me. Great to be with you. Congrats on the new book, uh, if I'm on the screen, The One Truth. This is number 17, right? 28. 28. 14-time <laughs> 14, 14 bestseller. Yeah, now that was number 15. Now, okay, so this is number 15. Congrats yeah. on the bestseller. Appreciate that. 28 books. Yeah. Where, do you do anything other than write books? And I write them myself. I do write them. People often ask me if I write my own books. I must not look smart enough to write my own books. But yes, I, I do write them. And I write usually every December. I'll write for three or four weeks and I'll write a book and finish a book in that time. Now I'm thinking about that book beforehand, but I sit down and every morning I get up, I write. And then I'll go for a walk. I'll get some ideas, clear my head, come back, write some more, and then I'm done for the day. At night, I basically go through what I wrote and then edit. And I'll get some new ideas. I'll write those down, get up the next morning, and start again. And before I know it, I have a book written. But I can't write a book unless there's something to say, unless I'm thinking about things. And this one came to me last summer where all the ideas were just flooding in. And I had these epiphanies, these realizations about oneness and separateness and high state of mind and low state of mind. And I knew that, okay, I got to write this book. Because I was sharing a lot of the concepts with pro athletes, mm -hmm college coaches, NFL coaches, NBA coaches, and I was sharing them my thoughts because I knew it would help them. And they were like, man, this is great. Like, this is the key. Like, this really is the key to high performance. It's the key to mental toughness. And knowing what you do and what you did, I think it's going to be a great conversation talking about that. I, I have no doubt. Hey, 28 books. I, I've written two books. We we're about to start a third. Awesome. And like after I finish a book, which one usually takes about a year and a half to two years, I'm like, you know, walking around in my sweats for six months. Like I just climbed Everest, like leave me alone. I just did, just, just did a world feat. I, I don't know how you do it, man. Um, I am noticing like the perfect the people that turn out a lot of books, like the perfect range and sort of like paint page range is like right around 150. Don't, and, and that's perfect for readers. Cause I, I talk to a lot of readers that, that like they never finish a 300 page book. Yep. I've been doing this for years. Mm -hmm. So this was my style, writing simple books, not simple ideas, profound ideas, even at times complex ideas, but then making it simple for the reader. So that's my style. Like I'm known for taking these complex things, but writing simple things that are digestible, that people can read and act on and also make you think and at the same time get you to a higher state of mind instead of yeah. a lower state of mind, help you be more positive instead of negative. So that was my style. So I was writing... 130-page books, 30,000 words, 35,000 words, and that's been my style. And you know how many former athletes or people who don't read what they say to me? Like, I started reading your Thank books, you. John. Yeah, yeah, and you got me into reading. So I started reading your books. Now I'm reading all these other people's books, which I love. I don't want you to just read my books. Read other people's books. Read your, read your books. And as they start reading these simple books that they feel like, okay, after you read a book, you feel great. All right, I got done. I did it. So you read a simple book like mine, you read it, okay, boom, now you're ready to take on the next one. You get some confidence. You feel good about having the fact that you just read a book. So you're right, 130, 150 pages. I've been doing this for years, and I'm seeing more and more people go to that lower count now, especially with social media. People are so busy today. People are so distracted. I worry that the younger generation isn't reading at all. Yeah. I worry about those people. Are they able or to read? Just consuming through audio. They're mostly consuming yeah. through audio. And I'm, and I'm big on audio books. I think audio books are great. All my books are on audio. But at the same time, at the same time, there's something about 
a physical book and reading it and digesting it. And this book and highlighting. There's a lot writing. of highlighting. There's a lot of diagrams. There's actually diagrams I and pictures. That. Yes. And as you read it, you see these pictures of a cluttered mind and clarity. Once you see clutter and clarity, you don't get that in the audiobook. It makes so much more sense. A cluttered mind that has all these thoughts has a lower state of mind. A mind that has a lot of clarity, where you're one with the moment, being one with everything that's happening. You have such clarity in that moment. That's a lot less thought that's happening in that moment. So once you understand that, and you understand you have a higher state of mind with less thought, more clarity, guess what? It makes more sense. So the visual you get from that written book is key. So the younger generation, hey, start reading. Because I speak to a lot of college programs, and what's really cool, high school programs, a lot of high school athletes, mm -hmm. a lot of coaches read my books. So they'll have the college and high school athletes read my books. So what's cool is that you get these high school kids that are reading. Many of their counterparts are not reading, but these kids are reading. So now they get older. I'm meeting guys that are 30-some years old that read my books when they were 18 yeah. and 19. Yes. And they're ahead of the game now because they, they've read these books, whereas some people in offices and corporations aren't even reading. You know, in terms of a legacy these will be here long after you're gone. Um, and that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Uh, we just had on a, uh, in fact, uh, the, the gold star son of Dan Healy, uh, oh, wow. who Dan Healy was killed on uh, operation red wings, you know, more popularized by lone survivor. Yep. Um, and he was 15 when he lost his father. And he's like, yeah, the one thing I was like, he noticed about like his father and, and, and his seal teammates is that they were always reading. I'm like, always one, there's a lot of sitting around the military. Yeah. But time. guys were always reading. And, and it's time like it was well understood that knowledge is power. And leaders are readers. Re readers or mentorship through readership yep. is what uh, a good friendly suggester whose book is on the wall over there, uh, uh, delete the adjective, calls it. Men uh, yeah. Uh, mentorship through readership. Um, Love that. 28 books. Do you, do you like to think you've got like the, the, the John Gordon system? that incorporates all of it or do you stay away from the system because that, 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 that makes it less flexible to the situation while this may work for manufacturing, it's not going to work for a collegiate sports team. Yeah. It's not really a system. It's, it's more of a, um, a thought process. It's principles. Every mm -hmm. book has principles, stories, application. That's how we learn best. What are the principles? What are the standards? What are the stories that bring the principles to life? And then how can I apply that and take action on what I just learned? So that's my formula, principles, stories, applications. Now, some of the books are fables. So the whole book is a story and you're learning the lessons along the way. Other books like The Power of Positive Leadership, yes. for me, that's what great leaders do. That's the formula and framework for great leadership. I think it's the ultimate formula. So positive leadership has this framework. You have these principles and then I tell stories that bring the principles to life. So that's more of a how-to book. What has been the evolution from book one to this one? Oh. I mean, what makes you say, you know, I've got to do a 28th book and it's going to be on this? You're thinking different. If I'm still the same person that wrote The Energy Bus when I was 35 years old, even though that book has sold 3 million copies, if I'm still that same person, that is a little scary. What's really cool is that Energy Bus and this book hit the bestseller list the same week. So the week that this came out, this hit at number two, mm -hmm. Energy Bus number seven, 16 years later. No kidding. So the book I wrote 16 years ago hits the same week that this book hit. But completely different people, 
learned a lot, have grown a lot. Energy bus was just so basic, so simple. Get on the bus, enjoy the ride, drive with purpose, love your passengers, fuel your ride with positive energy. That's sort of like the surface level understanding of how it all works. This book is like the deeper understanding. Mm -hmm. What truly is going on in the mindset? What's going on with thoughts? How do thoughts work? Why is positivity important versus negativity? How does negativity bring us down? How does positivity lift us up? Everything comes down to oneness and separateness. Once I had this realization, it was like the light bulb went on and I saw things so clearly. You know, a team that is united and connected is a powerful team. I just spoke to the Longhorns. That's why I'm wearing a Texas shirt. I, told- I, I, I hope you're a, a miracle worker because uh, I'm a, a UT grad, MBA, but uh, Sweet. we've had some rough years. Getting better, though. Culture's yeah. getting better, and this team really is connected, and they do love each other, and we talked about that. A team that is divided, though, is a very weak team, a powerless team. And so do you want to live with power, or do you want to be powerless? And that all comes down to when I am one, connected, and united, I'm a powerful team. When I am separate and divided, I am a weak team. And so that's oneness and separateness once you understand this. We either win as a team or we, we die right, as individuals. Right. And you yeah. know this is, I love that, win as a team, die as individuals. My dad was a New York City police officer. So God my dad him. was undercover narcotics. So it wasn't military, but he was battling the drug cartels in the streets of New York. This is during the heydays. Every single day. Yeah. This is during the 70s. This yes. is like Serpico. I mean, this is some, some, some deep stuff. This is like my dad had to literally reacclimate back to civilian life when mm-hmm. he retired. He and my mom almost got divorced because he was like a person that was really messed up. But he went to therapy. My mom and him worked together. And then he became, you know, normal again in many ways. <laughs> Although never totally normal. Like he wouldn't carry a gun. He wouldn't carry a gun. When he was done. When he was done. Because he's like, someone's going to piss me off and I might shoot them. So he's like, I can't carry a gun. He knew that about himself. My dad literally would... He had an undercover car growing up. I'd be in the backseat. We're, we're driving. And literally, he would, someone would cut him off on the road. He'd put the siren on top of his car, like he had those one of those sirens, and go after the guy, chase him down, and pull him out of the car. Like, I'm watching this as a kid. Like, he was crazy. He was crazy. But great dad. All about loyalty. Mm-hmm. All about love. All about family. All about teamwork. Because that's what he dealt with every single day. Like, if he and his partner... And his team were not united, connected. It meant maybe the difference between life and death. Because there were some days he was shot at. There were days that his life was was in question. Like he literally had a gun held to his head one time from a guy he was chasing that was hiding him. Looking for him. Gun goes to his head. Trigger. It was pulled. But it misfired. I'll never forget him telling me this story. He said, I didn't think I was going to make it home that night. And literally turned around and obviously did what he had to do. Yeah. To, uh, to apprehend the suspect. And then after that, you know, he, he lived, thank God. But you know what? This is what he battled with. This is what he dealt with. And it all comes down to the team that he was a part of. You know, getting upset, what we, I guess we can call road rage now and pulling some guy over. Like what people don't understand is like when you're surrounded by that element for three, five, 10, 15, 20 years, it, like there's no other alternative. It changes you. It changes you. And those are the normal reactions to the abnormal conditions that he was operating in for, for years. Um, so, you know, I want to get into positivity. Because <laughs> I, I, I love this. And um, one, we, we had Stephen Kotler on 
love Stephen Kotler, love his work as well, but he recently wrote uh, in our country. And this is, you know, he calls it the superpower of aging. And it's that you grew, I mean, with aging can only come reflection. Or I should say with reflection, it only comes with age. Right. And that's the beauty of it, is the wisdom that comes. If you have the ability to reflect, both criticize, pat yourself on the back, learn, and then apply. Yeah. But he also did talk about people that are more positive, and you've probably heard this, live seven years longer than those who have a mediocre to negative mindset. That's, I mean, that's seven years of life. Oh, yeah. That, that's amazing. And when you talk to teams, I know positivity, but do you, I mean, what I've seen some speakers do is they, they try to paint that like it's this really positive environment, like, because I've worked with some high-performing teams and everyone's positive, but it was, I mean, it was still a very competitive environment and cutthroat where some people just didn't have the thick skin to, to, to survive or remain in that environment for too long. How, how do you sort of paint the realistic picture? Right. Uh, of uh, operating at that level. Of real positivity. Yes. Because a lot of times when people talk about positivity, or I'll talk about it, at first, people roll their eyes. They think, oh, Pollyanna positive. And I always say, it's not about seeing the world through rose-colored glasses. It's knowing that you have the power to overcome the thorns. It's not about ignoring reality. It's about maintaining optimism, belief, and faith in order to create a better reality. It's about resilience. It's about grit. It's about mental toughness. It's about the fact that negative thoughts bring you down. They lower your state of mind. The root for the Greek word of anxious means to separate and divide. And so when you're anxious, you feel separate. You feel divided. You know in a big moment, when you're at war or you're in a performance of an athlete, when you're in one of those moments, there's no doubt actually. There's a lot of clarity. There's a lot of focus. There's nowhere to go. And when you're going, there's, there's pure clarity. There's not doubt. There's not anxiety. No, you're just doing what you do. But so many people today are going through life feeling anxious and stressed and overwhelmed and busy. Why? Because all the thoughts in their head and all the negative thoughts that are making them feel powerless. Negative thoughts do five things with the Ds. Doubt, distortion. Negative thoughts are lies that will tell you things about yourself and your future that just aren't true. Discouragement, distraction, and division. As I said, Anxious means divided and separate. So we feel divided. Fear what? Divides. Negative thoughts separate you. They weaken you. What do positive thoughts do? Uplift you. They encourage you. They make you feel powerful. They allow you to take on challenges. And yes, the research is clear. They enhance our immune system, our health, our longevity. I say that positivity is the competitive advantage. It really is. Research from Duke University shows that optimists work harder, get paid more, and I'm more likely to succeed in business and sports. Yeah. What these researchers found was that these optimists, because they believed in a brighter, better future, they took the actions necessary to create it. Became a self-fulfilling prophecy. So when you're going through a challenge, you're going through adversity, you're going through setbacks, you're in the midst of all of it. What's going to get you through? Pessimism? Pessimism do not, let me say it again, pessimists do not change the world. And pessimism will not change you or help you go forward except for an, a negative way. It's the optimists. It's the believers. The most famous words, well, with, not with that attitude. Right. We're not going to do that with... And I, and I always say being positive, like, it doesn't just make you better. It makes everyone around you better. And it doesn't guarantee you'll succeed. It doesn't guarantee it. But being negative will guarantee that you won't. Mel Tucker, who's the 
uh, coach of the Michigan State football team. Yeah, I know. Amazing coach. Okay. He's like, I'm all about positivity. I will not allow unearned positivity. He's like, I'm not going to step into the uh, the locker room at halftime when we're down 10 to 50 and say, hey, guys, we're, we're, we're not that we're not still in this, but like, hey, things are not going well. And, and we can turn this around, but, you know, I'm not going to praise you. We need to, you know, make some serious okay. changes and implement it. You got to say you this sucks. You, yeah. gotta, you, have, you have to be able to say this sucks. This isn't going well. Guess what? You're not living up to your potential. But positive leaders always do find a way forward. Like they always say, okay, here's where we were, here's where we were yesterday. This is where we're going now. Yes, we had the setback and challenge, but here's where we're going now. So they address the situation. And I always say they're demanding, but not demeaning. I and I know that's a big, in the military, it used to be about demeaning. Yeah. No, great leaders are demanding, not demeaning. And love and accountability is actually the new way to lead today. It's love tough, not tough love. Love tough. So, you know, when I speak with companies, this is, the, how did you lead in the military? And I say through love. And the highest form of compassion is accountability. Yep. And, and breaking down what accountability is and the positive side of accountability, if you have set from the onboarding phase, why this is a culture of accountability, yep. and it's not to denigrate anyone's, but it's actually a mechanism to improve performance across the board. People that implement positivity on a transactional level, um, it's pretty interesting because when hardship hits, uh, you know, you pull them aside and you say, now, at what point did you think positivity was going to insulate you from hard times? Right. It helps you to prepare or prepare you to respond in a healthy way. Through the but hard times. Through the hard times. Um, to what degree does positivity and negativity correlate with fixed versus growth mindset? Well, negativity causes you to view the world and situations through a narrow lens. And positivity and optimism gives you a broader lens. So you see solutions, whereas with negativity, you focus more on the problems. And so in great cultures, we focus on our opportunities. We focus on how we're growing. We're not failing, but we're becoming. We're growing. We're looking at challenges and even complaints as opportunities to get better, to grow. So I wrote the no complaining rule, which says you're not allowed to complain unless you come with a solution. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yes, there's this complaint. We've got to get better here. But we use it as a catalyst for new innovations, new ideas, new growth opportunities, how to get better. Whereas if you just focus on the complaint and the negativity, I often say complaining is like throwing up. Afterwards, you feel better, but then everyone around you feels sick. And so a growth mindset is all about optimism. It's all about belief. It's all about faith. And I would argue that, that being optimistic and being positive, you look at challenges as opportunities, and that leads to new innovations new ideas, new ways to grow. I'm 52. This is my 28th book. I feel like I'm just beginning. Look, I really feel like with this book, I just got started again. And so I feel like a rookie who's going out there doing my thing. Just spoke to Texas. These guys are 18, 19, 20, but I'm 52. I started speaking to teams when I was 35. But I feel like I'm wiser now, more knowledge now, but yet I still feel young and energetic that I can still relate to them and, and connect to them in that way. So that's my positive mindset leading to a growth mindset, whereas that negative mindset leads to that fixed mindset. I can't change. I am the way I am. And I would even argue, we talked about environment earlier. I don't believe your environment has power over you if you know that it truly doesn't. See, if you believe it because does. Because most people say you're a product in your environment. Of your environment. And that's not true. One day you're in traffic and it bothers you. The next day you're in the same traffic and it doesn't. Is the traffic... 
one day you're in a battle and and fear sets in and you get affected and it brings you down or something afterwards, PTSD. People come home from the war, eight to 20% have PTSD. They say it's 8%, but it's more like 20 because it goes unreported. So people come back. Other people might go through the same exact battle, the same situation, and not have PTSD. Was it the environment? Was it the battle that caused the PTSD? The pandemic happened. People blame the pandemic for the way they are. Was it the pandemic? No, because some people thrived in the pandemic and other people struggled in the pandemic. If it was the pandemic, everyone would respond the same way. If it was the war, everyone would respond the same way. When there's trauma and people do experience trauma in their lives, some people respond from the trauma and use it for good and say, you know what, I'm going to go change the world now because of what I went through. Other people allow it to cause them to go into a dark depression, a dark hole, and they retreat from life. So what's the difference? It's our state of mind. That's what this book is all about. State of mind is low, circumstance happens, and it bothers you. You think this circumstance has power over you when your state of mind is low. You have power over the way you respond. When your state of mind is high, you go, you know what? This circumstance does not have power over me. No, I have power over this circumstance. And guess what? No matter what has happened, I can rise above it. I can move forward. I know that I'm in a low state of mind when I'm allowing my environment and my situation to affect me. And I know that I have to look at it myself and say, you know what? It's not that situation. It's you, John. It looks like it is, but it's you. The other day I'm walking in LA, talking on the phone, and a truck comes by. And it like is really noisy. Interrupted my conversation. I start yelling at the truck. I laughed at myself. Did you just yell at this truck? Like, what are you doing? It wasn't we, the truck. We all have those moments. Right. As long as you can recognize it. Oh, I laughed. Oh, I'm, I'm being Karen right I now. laughed, right. And, yeah. I, and I was in a lower state of mind. So once you see this, oh, no, it's not the circumstance. It looks like it is, but it's not. Because you know why? We always create from the inside out. Once you realize that your spirit, your soul, your passion, your work ethic, your drive, your essence of who you are, we always create from the essence outward not outside in, inside out. So the power is always on the inside. That's how a group of individuals can come together and change the world because they do it from inside them. The anxiety piece that you talked about, this is this is what I love. So again, I want to be careful. It, you know, one, I was comfortable on the battlefield because yeah. I was also surrounded by 40 just lions. Right. Lions. Yeah. And, and I was a glorified comms guy as a SEAL uh, okay. officer. That's... That was my number one weapon. And I was proud to own it. I loved it. Right. Uh, it doesn't mean I didn't get my time on the trigger. I got a lot of time on the trigger. But um, I never had anxiety. And wow. times got pretty damn hard. We were in some bad situations. And you'd always just see the guy smirk and humor and positivity and mindset and get through it. You separate me from my tribe. I lose that support network. I'm driving down the road here in Austin. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm blanking on what highway it was. It was uh, the 360. And I called my wife and I'm like, I can't breathe. I'm like, I'm getting tunnel vision. Yeah. She's like, pull the car over. I'm like, I, I don't know what's going on. Anxiety. Yeah. First time I've ever had anxiety in my life at the age of 40. But I did realize this. You talk about division or feeling separated. I felt separated from my tribe. I no longer had that support mechanism. And now I'm in a profession. On the battlefield, I was very confident in my skills. Yep but not overly confident in that the enemy got a vote and everything. And right. So it was, it was a, a tit for tat and a challenge of, uh, of, of many facets, but um, stepping into the business world and the NBA just armed me enough to be dangerous enough to sink a company. <laughs> I, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm not a master of this profession. 
I, in essence, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm still in the phase of trying things out and seeing what works despite this formula that I learned in the MBA program. And it was, it's, it's been an eye opener for me from a growth level of, oh, I'm starting over again as 40. Yep. And it hurts. <laughs> the, um, you know, you also bring up the mindset and, and you brought up PTSD and, and it's always a touchy subject. It is. I get people all the time that will, will debate me on that and want to bring up all these different well, you things. You don't know. It's just like, no, no, I don't. But no, I, but I do know. And yeah. I do know that we all go through really hard times and, and really, really difficult experiences. And I know that you went through something much more horrific than I would ever go through or, or have gone through, at least at this point in my life. But I've also dealt with different things in my life that has been yes. traumatic. And it's hard to give a level of of trauma because some people have some trauma that literally will ruin their life and other people could go through something that was much harder and you would think, wow, this person never went through anything. Because again, it's our state of mind, it's our level of consciousness, it's how we look at the events in our life, how we, how we perceive them, how we ingrain them, how they become a part of who we are. And also, again, they become a part of our energy field. The body's energy equals MC squared. We're made of all energy. So when you do this, when you do this EMDR therapy of trauma therapy, you're actually mm -hmm. getting the energy that you're holding on to, that heavy energy of the trauma. You're releasing it from the body. Mm -hmm. It's a big part of it. And the mind. And so we can release the trauma. We can let it go. We can forgive. It always reveals the hole that we have in our soul. H-O-L-E. We all get a hole in our soul. A wound. Mm -hmm. And what is a wound but a separation? And you're always going to be infected in the wound. And this is where negative thoughts come in. It's where anxiety comes in and fear comes in. It comes in the place of your wound. So the key is the more separate you are, the more you're susceptible to being infected with those negative thoughts, with outside voices, with naysayers, with critics, and events that bring you down. The more you move towards healing and wholeness. And by the way, relational psychology says we heal in a loving relationship or loving relationships. You got your team. You got your guys, football players. They got their team. It's why so many guys, when they leave the game and as athletes, they struggle because they had their team. What we have to do is find a new team. And we got to find healthy, healing relationships that we're a part of. It's why every addiction program has team dynamics where they come together as a team and community is such a big part of healing and wholeness. And so as we move towards healing and wholeness, we actually start to become, we become so much more healthy as a result of dealing with the wound that we have. So everyone has a wound. Some wounds are bigger than others. And then the journey is, how do I heal this wound that I have to become more whole? Does that make sense? It does. And I'm actually coming to your aid here because I've, I've said some things as a retired military service member about PTSD and, and people will go, just, they get offended. And, and I'm not denigrating anyone's not at service all. at all. I'm, and it's amazing how you, you, you talk about it being a mindset um, which I've said before, and actually, you know, I talk about growth from trauma right? and how once you can change your mindset and use it as a springboard for knowledge and experience and move forward, it is powerful. But, you know, I, I love your message and, and I think it's becoming increasingly, some of the books you wrote years ago are increasingly important because and I don't want to go negative here. It yeah. does seem like we have an epidemic, a very, very scary epidemic of victimhood yes. going uh, around. And you may see that in some of the organizations you step into, but 
when you come into an organization that's let's let's say you just pick up the negativity and it's just not the 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 most healthy culture where can positivity start from yeah. does it always start from the top uh, can it start from the middle can it start from the bottom if you never get the top on board you're sort of screwed what i mean when you look at an organization, right. regardless of the industry, yeah. where, where, where do you start that sort of uh, formula? You can always make your team great. So wherever you are, you lead from where you are, and you can impact the people around you. So I always say leadership starts with influencing the people around you. I wrote a book, The Carpenter, Love, yes. Serve, Care. Impact the people around you. If you love your team, you serve others, you show you care, guess what? You're a leader. And that's why we admire the military so much, because they love, they serve, and they care. What is service? But sacrifice and commitment. You're given a piece of yourself to serve others. And so often you're sacrificing, sometimes even your own life to do that. So it's always about sacrifice. But I look at teachers and teachers are sacrificing every day in the classroom, for instance, to impact their students, their time, their energy. The great ones actually do care. Yes. So much so that they'll literally use their own money to yes. help these kids and to challenge them, them and to be there for them. Right, God bless them. So there are heroes everywhere. So it starts there. You can make a difference in the people around you. But at the same time, I know this, from a culture standpoint, if you don't have leadership buy-in, a team that's not connected at the top will crumble at the bottom. Leaders who are not displaying it and living it and living the values of the culture, then you're going to have issues as you come down below you within the organization. It's harder because you're always fighting against this negativity. Now, can you transform the environment? Yes, I wrote a book, The Coffee Bean with Damon West, which is always about transforming the environment you're in. The egg gets hardened by the environment. That could happen in offices and workplaces and everywhere. It can happen in war. It can happen in environments where you become like a carrot, where you get fearful, anxious, worried, and stressed. We don't want to be the carrot or the egg. We want to be the coffee bean. Take that coffee bean, you put that into boiling hot water, it transforms the water into coffee. So it transforms the environment that's it. So, so leadership is knowing that you have the power within you to transform your environment outside of you. And you can do that at every level. But as you do it at the top, as you know, and you have great leadership at the top, that displays and models it. Then it's so much easier for everyone else. Observational learning and behavioral way. modeling. Yes. The, the greatest form of leadership development. Let me show you how it's done. Yep. And you emulate. It's yep. do as I say, not as I, uh, or do as I say, do as I do. Um, Can we go back to PTSD for a second? Because I know yeah, that yeah, yeah. I know that you'll have a lot of listeners who probably think about that and talk about that. Um, and PTSD is not a, a it's not bucketed to veterans. That right. could be a, a a banker who drives down the road and sees a car accident with a child that's been mutilated, and that's yeah. that's that's life changing. Yeah, I can see my see my mom die at fifty nine years old. I could have PTSD from that, or my dad dying, you know, at seventy four, just in the hospital on a ventilator. You can be affected by that. Uh, and just to use an example, I'm trying to, the Euphoria, which is a TV show. You, you know what I'm talking Euphoria on, on uh, HBO. It's relatively new show, but one of the uh, the lead uh, characters uh, plays a drug dealer. Great actor, 25. Lost his father three weeks ago, just committed suicide. Wow. That is tragic. The trauma he must have been going through. I mean, they must have been close to the point where he feels he couldn't move on, but yeah. sorry. So... I was talking to a veteran the other day, and he was, he was driving me in an Uber in Las Vegas. And, and he was a veteran and was struggling with PTSD. So we had a great conversation. And I asked him, do your negative thoughts come from you? He's like, yeah, they're in my head. I said, if you believe that, who would ever choose to have a negative thought? Would you ever choose a negative thought? He's like, no. I said, negative thoughts are always coming in. I've asked neuroscientists. 
Have you ever found a thought inside of a brain? No, they haven't. Thoughts exist in consciousness. They actually come from the soul and the mind, which is, again, our spirit, our soul. The brain is the hardware. It's where the activation of the thought happens. So right now we're making sense of this world through our thoughts, firing synapses that is allowing us to perceive this energetic reality through vibrations, wavelengths, and frequencies. This blows people's mind when you really think about it. What are you? You're an energetic being. You're more of a thought being than you are a physical being. You actually become what you think about. So negative thoughts are always coming in. When you've had PTSD and you've had situations and traumas and so forth, the negative thoughts flood in in a lot of ways and they start to take over. So what I said to him was, your negative thoughts are not coming from you. You don't have to believe the lies that they tell. I said, do they accuse you? Do they attack you? Did they bombard you? He said, all the time. It makes me want to give up. I said, don't give up. Don't give up. Once he understood his negative thoughts were not coming from him, he stopped feeling guilt and shame. Stop, he stopped thinking he was broken. Mm-hmm. So often we think something's because wrong told, with us. Because they're told they're broken. Exactly. The, the, the medical model and the psychological model is you're broken, there's something wrong with you, and something needs to be fixed. No, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. You just have all these thoughts that are lowering your state of mind that are causing anxiety and separating you and dividing you. Do you know that all mental health disorders move from oneness to separateness? This is what the one truth's all about. Oneness to separateness. When you are dealing with a mental health disorder, you feel alone and isolated and disconnected and separate. Think about that. Get that person to now move towards wholeness and healing and connection to themselves to others, and spiritually. See, we win the battle by being one, not separate. Because if you can be divided, you can be conquered. When you're one, you are powerful and strong. So this is what's going on. So I explained to him, this is what's going on in your mind, in your head, and these negative thoughts are separating you and dividing you and making you feel powerless, make you feel like you're broken, something's wrong with you, and nothing is wrong with you. Nothing is broken. And man, this guy said, wow. Like, where else can I listen to this? So I... I sent him a copy of, of The One Truth, told him to listen to the podcast, Positive You. Just had this conversation. I've done this now with teenagers who are suicidal. I've done it with all these people who are struggling. And it literally, in one talk, it helps turn them around. Because what's happening is these guys are coming back, PTSD, and they have it. And again, it's very real. I'm not saying it's not real what they've been through. But as we start to understand what's happening in our mind, we can then win the battle of our mind. And you got to realize that the battle, you won the battle on the field. You won it out there. Now you got to start winning the battle of your mind day in and day out. And I'm giving people the tools to do that. And it's not by saying you're broken. It's by saying you're whole. It's by saying, let me teach you how to elevate your state of mind. So you start thinking at a higher level and you tune into, you start to tune, because the brain's an antenna, by the way, that's a whole other conversation. You tune into the positive instead of the negative. The mind is so what one if you look at it physically from the brain we're just scraping the surface surf, surface of what we know about the oh. brain uh especially with, with brain trauma with the yes. nfl and and, and and soldiers coming back with yeah. uh, tbi but what, what what i did learn during my time is that the mind will break long or well before the body mm. if you're weak-minded if you're fixed-minded it's going to break long before your body but the amazing thing is like if you are so growth-minded if you are so positive if you have just ultimate grit and resilience and that push, you know, drive to, to, to move forward, you will keep moving forward and your body will break before your mind does. And, and that power, that power right there is, I think it's the secret to life. Oh, 
It's all the mind. It's the key to life. And we have to go back first and foremost and talk about, okay, there's the brain and then there's the mind. Different. People often associate as the same. No, there's the brain and there's the mind and the soul. And the soul and mind are part of you. Psychology mm -hmm. comes from the word psyche, which means soul. Psychology was actually supposed to be about the soul. We've now made it all about the brain. This is, I'm telling you, this is revolutionary. This is going to, I truly believe, transform mental health and sports psychology and the understanding of how our brain and mind work and our thoughts and how our thoughts and brain are connected. So we know how brain health is really important. Like you come back from having a, a traumatic brain injury, you struggle more with depression, have a lot of negative thoughts. I had a good friend who was like the most positive guy ever, and he had a traumatic brain injury, and he said he started having all these negative thoughts. When you have a healthy brain, you have a lot more positive thoughts. So why are brain health and depression connected? Why is mental health and brain health connected? We never say, oh, man, he has a mental health disorder. He has too many positive thoughts. Why do we have more negative thoughts when we have actually issues with our brain? It's because the brain is an antenna. Not like an antenna, it's literally an antenna. And it's tuning into the positive frequency or the negative frequency on a daily basis. Negative thoughts and positive thoughts. And again, remember, the thoughts are activated in the brain, but they're not coming from the brain. This is transformative because everyone right now, neuroscientists, they're all looking at thoughts in the brain. But I said, have you found thoughts inside of the brain? No, we haven't, John. No one has yet to find a thought inside of a brain. It's activated, right? So once you understand this, right, it's an antenna. When the antenna is damaged and affected, it makes sense that it starts to tune into more negative thoughts and then you start to go down that downward, downward mm -hmm. spiral. So more negative thoughts are coming in. Those negative thoughts now literally affect the antenna even more and it gets worse and worse and worse. What happens when you start tuning into more positive thoughts? It starts to nourish your brain. It starts to uplift you, encourage you. We use words like schizo, schizophrenia, separation, bipolar, separation. I talked about mental health disorders. Move towards oneness and wholeness healing. Narcissists have people who have been through traumas and they have literally parts of the brain that cuts itself off from other parts of the brain. At the neurological level, there's a separation that we talked about. This is why this is so helpful to understand this. Because once you realize, okay, my brain's an antenna, how can I create a healthy brain to start tuning into more and more positive thoughts? So they work interconnected. Like a healthy antenna tunes into more positive thoughts, but the more I tune into positive thoughts, it creates a healthy brain. And I met a guy who actually had a traumatic brain injury and he literally got himself better by reading positive thoughts, watching positive movies and started reading positive scripture. And that fueled his mind and literally was able to overcome that and found healing in his brain. What do we learn from, from biblical applications? Take every thought captive. Don't be conformed by the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Mind, soul, which then actually drives the brain. So if you have an unhealthy mind-soul, you're going to have an unhealthy brain. If you have an unhealthy brain, you're going to tune into a negative frequency that's going to affect your mind and soul. So it actually works both ways. Does that make sense? It, it does. Do you, do you ever remember prior to maybe like 2005, anyone ever talking about mindfulness no. or meditate? Well, I mean, meditation was a around. Little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't there. Right. And people that are working this into their regimen, whether it's just three one-minute sessions of mindfulness yep. or three one-minute sessions of breathing. All the good they're doing for their brain. So and, good. And I'm so happy that people are moving. Yes, there is the physiological 
uh, component yeah. um, and, and, and immune system and, yes. and, 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 you know, cardiovascular system and, and muscle muscular system. But now people are moving towards the brain. You're seeing a lot more people de-stress, yep. de-anxiety, and, and just take a healthier outlook just from these one to, to five minute drills. It's amazing. Why does mindfulness and meditation work? It's because you're slowing down, you're breathing, and also less clutter, mm. less thought, more clarity, higher state of mind. The brain will now start to tune into a higher frequency, higher level of thinking. And as a result of that, you start to actually receive more of these downloads, ideas, wisdom, energy. You actually feel lighter and freer after you're doing that. See, we haven't even begun to touch the surface, no. as you said earlier. No. I asked a neurotheologist. He's like the top a researcher. Neurotheologist. Yep. I love this. Yep. Where do you get that Professor from? Newberg. Professor Newberg. Newberg. Yeah, Professor Newberg. Check him out. He's a professor of neurotheology doing all this research on neurotheology. How does men mindfulness, meditation, prayer affect the actual brain? And they actually have this great research of like what gets shut off, what gets turned on from different applications of what you're doing. And it makes sense. Like when you're praying, the part of the brain that actually has a sense of self actually gets minimized. So you actually almost lose yourself in a greater connection and a greater power. See, I'm convinced the brain is just the hardware as the processor. And it's mm. the mind and soul that's actually mm -hmm. using the brain to create the reality that we experience. I don't want to get too biblical, but Romans 8, 5, 6 says, sums it up. A mind governed by the flesh leads to death. A mind governed by the spirit leads to life and peace. <laughs> Am I tuning into the spirit or things of the flesh and dysfunction? Were, were that they talking about death? STDs there? <laughs> <laughs> well, on the flesh side, you know what? I lived a life of tuning into the flesh. Mm. I've lived that life, man, and almost destroy your life and your marriage. I was negative. I was miserable. I was focusing on success. I was focusing on wealth and wanted to create it. And guess what? My wife almost left me because I was so focused on the things of this world, right? Things around me, what people say, expectations, all of that. Now my mind is governed by the spirit, love, joy, purpose, peace, power. And as a result of that power in a good way, right? A greater power, mm -hmm. a connection. Power all, all addiction programs yeah. also, all addiction programs believe in a higher power. Of course. The more you connected to that, the more you connected to that higher power, there's a greater strength. If you're by yourself alone, that's when you get more anxious because you're separate and divided. The more you're connected in one to that higher power, connected to your creator, you become so much more powerful. So it's amazing how you can actually see this play out day in, day out with people with teams, with individuals. And that was my talk to the team today, actually, to Texas. It was like, you're tuning every day to a negative or a positive. The more you tune into the positive, and everyone on the team does that, guess what? You'll operate at a higher level and be more connected together. So guess what? Quarterback and receiver, 30 yards away. Boom, boom, boom. When you guys are connected, it's like handing off the ball. It's that simple. It's like you can be 30 yards away, and yet you feel like you're right next to the person. You're not even dropping the pass. Why? You're so connected. And yet, when you're disconnected, Trying to do a handoff, you fumble. Because two guys are in a low state of mind, not on the same page, they're not one, and then all of a sudden you get a fumble as a result of that. So the more connected you are, the become, you become stronger. I talked to the guys about being linemen. All right, you guys are like massive linemen. When you guys are connected to each other and one line, a wall. Can, a wall, can anybody beat you? Can anyone get by you? No, only when you are divided and disconnected. You brought up a great point, and it may be 
where I'm at in the cycle of my life. I'm relatively new to the private sector. I've got multiple startups that we're running at once. Wow. I've never taken a dime of funding from anyone because yeah. I just don't want to, you know, I've, I've heard horror stories about yeah, investors, but you know, th- this is a conversation between my wife and I, and, and it's just so timely that you brought it up is that I am, I do believe in all the things in, you know, letting my bride know, just like my kids, that she's the center of my earth, yeah. that it's not about me, that it's about them and my kids and, to let my kids see me treat my wife as she should be treated and love and, and, and all these things. But I'm also so focused on the success and right. building these companies that I lose sight. What was it? Was it an event where you hit rock bottom or where your wife said, Hey, you need to change or I'm, yeah, I'm my, leaving. My wife actually said, you don't change. We're over. She said, I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. You need to change. And she was going to leave, but thankfully she didn't. I agreed to change. And that began this journey of doing this work. I started to research ways I could be more positive during the emerging field of positive psychology. So as I started to research these ideas, I started to practice them. Way back when in 2002, I started a weekly positive tip and would send out these newsletters about what I was doing and sharing them with people. I had five subscribers, my mother, my brother, best friend from school, but people started to share it. And that's what led me to do this work that How I do now. How many do you have now? Over 400,000. What do you say to somebody who's starting out right now? Just do the work. Show up, do the work, make a difference, know what you want to share, how you want to share it, why you want to share it. And every day you show up and you just start loving, serving, and caring, wanting to make a difference. Over time, you will exponentially grow. More and more people will follow you. And going back to the business, you got to invest in the root. If you invest in the root, you'll get great fruit. Focus on the fruit of the tree, which the is, outcome. Which is usually people, right? Success. Well, yeah. success, outcome, money. People actually, I believe, are part of the root. If I focus on mm-hmm. the root of my culture, mm-hmm. expect to win with your people, but don't worry about the expectations of the naysayers and others. So I'm not going to worry about people who have no control or not involved. Easier said than done, but that's the biggest problem is so many people look outside instead of inside. And again, one truth, the more you look outside, the more separate you feel, the weaker you feel. When I focus on social media, I actually leave feeling horrible, comparing myself to others. Mm. I should be able to say no. They're in their path. They're in their journey. My journey is different. I'm going to look to me inside and focus on my purpose, my path, the work that I'm here to do and the difference I'm here to make. And guess what? It's easy to lose our way. And I have in the past. There are times when we that has do. happened to me. Oh, we yeah. all do. My son came home from college. Hey, Dad, following this guy, Gary Vee. He's got like 7 million followers. How many do you have? Thanks, Dad. Thanks, thanks, Cole, actually. You know, and I said that. I looked at my numbers. Oh, I have about 80,000 at the time. <laughs> Felt like a complete failure. I had written maybe about 20 books at that time, sold millions of copies. I'm telling you, in that moment, I felt like a complete failure. Why? I was now comparing myself against someone else's thief of joy. standards. Yeah. Comparison is the thief of joy. But what was I doing? Looking outside instead of inside. Looking at what other people think instead of what I think. And so for me, it was like, you know what? My wife matters. My kids matter, as you said. Investing in them. If you are a failure at home, but your success at work, you're still a failure. We've got to be a success at home. And when we are stronger and better at home, and we have a great family and a great culture, 
that allows us to actually succeed more in our work. When I took some time off to take care of my family because my wife was struggling mm -hmm. and my kids were struggling, mm -hmm. I didn't want to come off the road. I was at the peak of my yeah. career at that time. Yes. The peak. And my wife said, I need your help. I'm like, what are you talking about? I need your help. Everyone's crumbling around here and you're out there doing your thing. Yeah. Honey, I've worked my whole life for this moment to do this work, to be in this position. And now you're saying you want me to come off the road? Yes, we need you. You need to be here at home. So you know what I did? I told her, I'll come home and do your job. Not a good thing to say that, but I said it. Just like telling a woman you need to calm down. Yeah, that. Yes, yeah. she said, she said, come home and do my job, crying. So at that moment, I was broken. There's nothing I could say. She didn't even want to fight. And I realized how stupid that was, how wrong that was. So I get home. I stopped speaking at all these different events. I was doing about 12 to 15 a month. Now I'm doing two to three. So now I'm home and I'm just doing two or three and I'm with my family. And man, it was a struggle. Yeah. Because they were messed up. I wanted a different team. They were so messed up. I wanted a, a new family. My wife's like, okay, well, yeah, we are messed up. By the end of the year of serving and being there and investing in them and not doing all those engagements, I became a better leader. I became a better husband. I became a better person. Every book I have written ever since that time has been a Wall Street Journal bestseller no ever kidding. since. Yep. What I realized was I didn't need a different team. I need to become a better leader. As I became a better leader, my team improved. And that made all the difference. And I realized you can be both. You can be a success at work and home, but you don't have to choose. There's a season for everything. So there are going to be seasons when I'm spending more time at work building the company. But I've got to take time and find rhythm, not balance. I don't believe in balance. If you're pursuing something you're passionate about, there you're, is the, no balance. But there's rhythm. Okay, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a driver. I'm a hard worker. My success has become because I have worked my butt off and I still do to this day. This month, I'm doing like 20 events in August. Mm. I'm hardly home in August, but I'm out there doing it. Why? It's a calling. It's a mission. And it's just the way I'm wired. So I'm going to do it. I'm driving. But it, at the same time, you know, I know that I know that why, I know why I'm doing it. I know my mission. I know my purpose. And I know ultimately at the end of the day that it's not about the fruit. It's about the root. And if I focus on the things that are right and what's good and I do that, I have rhythm. And the rhythm says, okay, I'm working hard. But in September, the first week, we're going to take time off. Good. And we're, we're going to hang out together. And we're going to enjoy each other. And we're going to relax. And we're going to spend that time together. Okay. There's a moment and there's time to now come back, recover, recharge. And then go out and do it again. So there's a season for everything and finding that rhythm is key. But knowing along the way that you got to put first things first. Yeah. There's a lot of work I got to put in uh, in that arena. <laughs> and I just, I, I think it's also we're in startup phase. And yes. it's just, it's constantly, um, it's it's just, it seems like that baby constantly needs to be fed. Yeah. Um, and my wife is, you know, she breaks down and she's like, I'm proud of you. I, you know, you've taken on a lot and um, just keep going. But you know, a lot of what you talk about positivity is I, I've come to the realization that like I would not be a good Rambo. I'd be the guy who tries to be Rambo and I'm like killed within the first five minutes of the movie and it's just like end credits uh, or roll credits. Um, the power of the tribe. Yes. And positivity is absolutely correlated, undeniably correlated by who you surround yourself with. It's the glue. It's the glue that keeps people together. You have to have that positivity glue whereas negativity will divide people in a team but you're around a great team, 
you have this positivity that you're feeding each other. Again, you are contagious. So big part of my book, The Energy Bus, is no energy vampires allowed. Mm-hmm. Gandhi said, I will not let anyone walk through my mind with their dirty feet. And so individually and collectively, we can't allow anyone to walk through our team and our mind with their dirty feet. And we got to be more positive than we are negative. So you're right. In terms of like when we deal with the tribe and the people around us, yes, they infuse us, they energize us, they encourage us. We're not meant to be lone rangers. You know, resilience, if you study resilience, people think it's this lone ranger mentality that makes you resilient. You're actually stronger in a tribe and stronger Mm -hmm. when you have your team, stronger when you're connected to others. So who are you surrounding yourself with? But I also believe that there are times where that person in your tribe may not be infusing you with positivity, but you're meant to infuse them. Because if we're always surrounding ourselves with positive people, what about the negative people that need our help? What about the people that need our coaching and our guidance and our wisdom. It's like everyone says, get rid of the haters, get rid of the naysayers, get rid of the energy vampires, get rid of the negative people from your life. Okay, that would mean you're getting rid of about 90% of the people on the planet because only 10% are really vibrating to a positive (laughs) frequency, 10 to 20%. Guess what? Those negative people need us. They need this. They need to understand that they can actually uplift their state of mind. They don't have to be a victim. They can learn to be a victor. They can learn to, to be an overcomer, to overcome their situation. They're not a victim of their circumstance. They need to realize the power they have within them to overcome their circumstance. So they need people like us to teach them that, to be there for them, and most of all, to love them and support them and encourage them along the way. You know the word encourage means to put courage into. So when you're encouraging others, you put encourage into them. And when you encourage yourself, you put encourage into ourselves. So my son goes quite towards the negative, Right? He has struggled in many ways with that. So I've always had to encourage him. So should I say, well, I'm only going to surround myself with positive people. Son, if you're not positive, you're not going to be around me. No, I got to encourage him along the way. And I got friends that are sometimes negative and down. Are they still my friends? Yes. Now, do I spend a ton of time with them? No. But there are times when you have to spend with them or you should spend with them to help them along the way. You brought up, as you're talking... And, and this comes up in our podcast all the time. We, we just had uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Luna, correct? Um, Luana. Luana on, who's a cognitive behavioral therapist. Okay. Just wrote a, yeah. a, a great book, Bold Moves. And, and what I would pay for you to, like, just teach our, our, our you know, grammar school kids <laughs> to get on one, like, televised, yep. just one-hour lesson. How come... How come we're not teaching? We need to. Insulate, not insulating, preparing these future leaders to come with a different mindset, to come with a different skill set. Yes, reading, comprehension, math, that's all important. But the ability to approach anything with a positive mindset, like how the world would change if we were were giving them these skills. I'm talking to some services that are actually in thousands of schools around mm-hmm. Texas that actually do something like this, that they have a curriculum that's video-based. It's like a TV service where we might do something like this because I agree, you're, you're onto something with that. We need to teach kids what's going on. It's one of the reasons why I wrote this book. I also wrote The Garden, which is for kids, and it really is about teaching them about mindset and the battle of their mind. And that's where it all begins. It's where it all ends. So if we're not teaching that, and the kids are learning math and science and social studies. But that kid is struggling with negative thoughts or 
feelings of inadequacy, that I'm not enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, and they're having all these attacks on their identity of, of who they truly are, that kid is not going to grow fully into who they're meant to be. So you're right. We've got to help kids on this journey. That's why I'm passionate about this. Like this is my next phase tell. in terms of teaching this to not just adults, but I wrote this book so that adults will use this to teach kids. So let's create a curriculum. I'm going to do a master your mindset course. That's going to teach them how to, how to do this, how to put this into practice. Cause man, all the kids that I've talked to are ready to see them turn around. And when the light bulb goes on, you're like, okay, if, help these kids how many more can we help by doing this and how many are struggling thinking they're broken and that something's wrong with them and man we just need people to tell these kids no you're going through a challenge this is part of life guess what every epic hero is part of an epic story i wrote this in the book you are part of an epic story and guess what every hero must overcome challenges and villains and adversity and setbacks along the way it's part of the curriculum of life. There's a battle going on. There's good and there's evil. That's the way the world works. That's why every movie is about that. Harry Potter, good versus evil. Superman, good versus evil. Black Panther, good versus evil. There's evil in the world that wants to destroy. There is love that wants to unite and build up. Once you know that, because I had a kid go, but where did negative thoughts come from in the first place? Kid said that. Where did negative thoughts come from? In the first? Like, why would there even be a negative thought? I go, good question. Why would there even be a negative thought? And people say, well, it's evolutionary. We have negative thoughts because the tigers were going to chase us and eat us, and you have to prepare against that. When the tiger is chasing you, you're not having a negative thought. When you're thinking about survival. You're, yeah. no, no, you're running. Yeah. Like, fight, fight. Clarity, focus, energy. You're running faster than you've ever run. You're positive you're going to get away in that moment. It's the fear of not being enough that's the negative thought. Mm. The fear of, of not living up to your potential, not meeting expectations. Those are not evolutionary. Those are spiritual when there's a battle for your identity of who you are. Identity is not an evolutionary concept. And by the way, sacrificial love would not exist in a purely evolutionary world. Why would you sacrifice your love, your life for another? You do it out of love. See, the universe is driven more by love than fear. That's the dominant power and force and narrative of the universe. It's love, actually, not fear. So, so I know this is getting deep, but, no, but, when, but once you understand this, again, you're, you're thinking at a different level. So where would a negative thought come in the first place? The negative thought comes in because it's part of the journey of life. Going back to the beginning of our conversation, you got to overcome the negative to live with more positivity optimism and belief because as a man thinks he becomes and as we start to learn to think these positive thoughts we become who we're meant to be and do what we're meant to do to create a world that is better and that's what we're here for ultimately that's what we're here for it's, it's like if you really understand that but you're gonna have to battle along the way mm -hmm. and there's gonna be forces that are always gonna try to bring you down and sabotage you along this journey and you have to be stronger than the forces and your power is greater and when you tap into that power you have the power to overcome all of it. That's the journey. So I want to teach kids that. You're part of an epic story. You're going to face adversity. You're going to have negative thoughts that sabotage you. But let me teach you how to win the battle of your mind. And I did that in the garden. I did that in this book. You know what the problem is? Garden became a bestseller initially, but hasn't sold well since. I was like, we've got to get this book in more people's hands. This book, The One Truth, came out great. It's, I think it's going to do well. It's like, this is what needs to get out there more and more. Because if you find this useful... Hand it to a kid. Encourage a kid to read it. 
Talk about it with your own kids. And then at school, share this with your kids. And I am doing that more and more. And I've gotten a lot of teachers that, that are playing videos of mine to their students. I'll, they'll send me videos of them doing that, which is cool. But we've all, it's not me alone. We've all got to do it. Like we're all in this battle together to teach the next generation. It's amazing what you think will like just continue to sell or, or will be, yeah. you, you be your biggest hit. And then it just doesn't quite hit the way you, I mean, the everyday warrior, I mean, hit number 84 of all books. I was proud of that, Wow! but amazing. It, it, it hasn't really sustained as I thought it was. I mean, we get utility out of the books. Like if we have a, a leg that's a little bit shorter, we, yep. we got a few everyday warrior copies that we stick under the, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't sure where you're going. No, 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 no. Uh, but you got to go out every day. And sell it. And, and sell it I, I'm and promote it. I'm not comfortable with that and, part and push yet. It. All right, I'm going to make you comfortable right okay. now. Okay. If, if you believe that you wrote something that can impact people's lives and someone's life, you have an obligation to talk about it and share it. Because you didn't write it to sit on a shelf, did you? No. You wrote it to make a difference. It wasn't about the money. You wrote it to impact people. I don't write books for money. Never thought I would ever make the money I make from books. I write books to make a difference. So I know that in my heart. So I feel comfortable talking about it. And guess what? If you don't like it and it doesn't help you. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Or no, if it doesn't help you and you read it, I'll refund your money. Love it. Yeah. I will refund anyone's money if they do not. And I, I only make about $2 a book. Mm-hmm. So the $24 you paid for the book, I'll refund it if you don't like it and buy it back from you. Because I make about $2 a book. The publisher makes the rest. Yes. That's the problem of being published in essence. It's not a problem, but people think as an author, you're making all the money out of your books. Well, you donate books. I get millions of requests to donate books. I go, I do not publish the books, make the books, or sell the books. I make about $2 per book, and I have to buy my own books. Yes. So I have to let people know this is yes. about how the publishing they give industry me like 500 works. at first. And then, yes, yeah, and, that's, and, then and, that, and that's it. But that's why I feel comfortable sharing it because I wrote it to make a difference. And I think you should too because you have a great book that will impact people and you got to put it out there. That's a beautiful way of, of articulating it. Or just absolutely. I, I have said, if you have knowledge, it's selfish to hold on to it. Yeah. That's the whole point. It's Leadership is an oral history of lessons learned, passed down to the next generation with the intent of making the next generation that much better. Oh, that's great. Bottom line. Love that. I mean, it's similar to what we, we what you do in your companies. Yep. Is you wanted the, the, the next genera- generation of leaders to step in and take the company to another level. It wasn't different in the uh, in the military or special operations community. And I, I call it the unbroken chain of excellence. Oh, that's if, good. If you are great at producing future leaders that go on to produce other future leaders, then you've created that unbroken chain. That's what the military is, right? It's, it's a leadership factory. I spoke at, I spoke at West Point and West Point is a leadership factory. And what do you do? You're there to produce and build up leaders. But hey, I've always praised the academy. I didn't go. I was just with the Naval Academy guy. This yeah. uh, this the retired. And uh, yeah, the, the academies have it right. They have it right. But they have to learn. They have to learn micro leadership. They leave the academies. They understand macro leadership, but they don't know how to coach. They don't know how to lead their group, their battalion. So the NCO, NCO, non-commissioned mm-hmm. officer, usually has to take them under their wing when they get there. And mentor. And, and mentor coach. and teach them in how to actually lead, which yeah. is really cool when you understand how leadership really works. Leadership theory, leadership application. And as you know, leadership is not a science. It really is an art, as Max Dupree says. It's an art. And every situation is going to be different. So you got to think about how do I lead this group of people or this situation to get the outcome that we need. And that's not easy. By the way, going back to leadership, integrity. This is pretty cool because we've been talking about oneness and separateness. Integrity comes from the word integer, mm-hmm. which means whole and complete. So a leader with integrity has wholeness and completeness. They have 
oneness. There's no gaps in their character and in what they say and do. There's alignment, and that's why they're so powerful. And you have integrity. I thank you for educating me on that one. I love that. I'll be, I'll, I'll be standing, and I'm a plagiarist. <laughs> I'm, I, I tell like if there's something in my book, take it, plagiarize it, because it's most likely I've gotten it from future men or, or past mentors of mine that that then took it from their members. Um, John, I'm, I'm I'm blown away. I've followed you for a long time. I've read uh, you know some of your books while I was in the uh, the military. Um, an what an honor! Thank you. I, you have impacted. You know, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I will because that's a great part. Let's um, go. 28 books. If you had to boil it down to anyone who's, who's listening, either in the realm of trying to be a better leader, trying to be a better human, trying to identify positivity, happiness, and let's say solidarity, a focus of what, what's going to drive happiness or, or passion in their life. What are five rules from all your learnings, from all your writings? I, Three, five, seven. I'm not going to limit you, man. I'm just going to let you talk. And that's the way I want to end this. Of You've learned a lot. You've, you've, you've put this into practice. You've tested it. You've evolved, yeah. as you've said. What are, what are some of the, the key principles that you pass on to others, like do these things in your life? But what I realized was all the books that I've written, the reason why they have worked and helped people is because of the one truth that explains why. Because mm -hmm. it's like looking under the hood and understanding how thoughts work, how positivity works, and why it makes a difference, and why positive leaders get greater results, why positive teams outperform negative team. So you start to see and understand. If I had to boil it down, it would definitely be, you know, vision and purpose. It would start there. That you have to have a vision of where you're going and you have to know why you're going there. We don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because we forget why we do it. So where are you going and why are you going there? As leaders and as people, what are we here to build? What are we here to create? In the military, what does it look like when we're done with our mission? So you understand what it looks like and what you want the future to look like. And that allows you to carry out the mission. So that's essential vision and mission along the journey. Definitely optimism and belief. You got to believe. You got to stay positive. You got to think those positive thoughts, not Pollyanna, not toxic positivity, not fake positivity, the real stuff that's going to get you through the challenges, help you overcome the discouragement, counter discouragement and distractions and division and doubt with a greater sense of understanding of power, of positivity hope people say hope is not a strategy well guess what it is because hope gives you the power and the present to take one more step to go forward one more day instead of giving up so optimism and belief are essential but if i had to boil it down telescope microscope big picture vision of where we're going and then zoom focus action of, of why we're going there and then also what am i going to do today to get there and then the positivity to help me take that action one more day. So they all combine, combine together. A lot of my thoughts and beliefs and principles combined together. So that's essential. And then you got to overcome negativity. If I boil all my books down to a central theme, it's the fact that you've got to overcome negativity, that your positivity must be greater than all the negativity. Optimism is a competitive advantage. Staying positive and being more positive than the negativity you face is an essential part of life in every aspect. Leadership, teamwork, entrepreneurism, overcoming the adversity along the way and the setbacks, that is essential. So how will I overcome negativity and make sure negativity doesn't sabotage me, my relationships, or my team? Because there's always a force that's trying to divide you and separate you from others and your relationships. When I talk to guys, I'm like, okay, guys, 
Aren't there moments where like you and your girlfriend, your wife are just like fighting and you're like, why are we even fighting? Like all these circumstances are coming up and it just seems to happen. And next thing you know, it leads to this argument, which leads to division. And now you're sleeping on the couch and it just gets really bad. I'm speaking from experience, you know? So we've been there and you can just see how it's always trying to divide. Negativity divides. So overcoming negativity is essential. I think that's three, right? And number four would definitely have to be love, serve, care from the carpenter. I think that is just the key. Like you really want to make a difference. You want to make an impact in this world. Every day show up and love people and know that love casts out fear and love drives grit. So when I'm focusing on love, I'm so much more powerful. Pavarotti, the famous opera singer, he said, everybody wants the audience to love them, but I love the audience. I love the audience. Guess what? I'm going to focus on loving life, loving the competition, loving the battle, loving the moment, and loving others. And when I'm focusing on love, I'm so much more powerful than fear. Serving. I'm going to serve, and I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going to commit. When it's about we, not me, then guess what? Me improves. It's amazing. The more I help others improve, I improve. The more I help others grow, I grow. So we always think it's about, oh, I got to focus on myself to be great. You know this really well. When you focus on helping others become great, that's when you become great in their eyes. That's why we love the military. Service and sacrifice and commitment. So what are you committed to? Goals are not going to take you to where you want to go, but your commitments will. So it's your commitments that help you get to your goals. So you got to have goals, but focus more on your commitments than your goals. And that's service and serving others along the way and being committed to other people. That's the key to life. So you don't have to be committed to everyone. That's the other thing. Like, you don't have to be committed to everyone. But along the journey, along the way, when you feel this feeling and this impulse to be committed, then make sure you're committed. And most of all, you have to be committed, though, to your wife and to your kids. Start commitment with them and then extend it outward to others. And then there's care. You got to show that you care. The difference between average and greatness is caring. Like, great leaders, great teams... Great everything. They care more. So often the world gets you to not care. Busyness and stress. And you see other people who don't care. So it's like, oh, so-and-so doesn't care. They don't care. They're not committed. No, you be the committed one. You show that you care. And when you do, you'll stand out in a world where so many don't care. So caring propels you above average towards greatness. That really is the key. Great managers care about their teams. See it all the time in baseball. Great coaches care about their players. Great leaders, great chiefs care about their department. Like they care about people. Great teachers care about their students. That's what makes you great is is caring. We often underestimate the power of caring. And then lastly, if I had to boil it down, I would say we win the battle of our mind by not listening to those negative thoughts that come in, but we speak truth to the lies and we talk to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. So every time those negative thoughts come in, don't listen. Talk to yourself with words of encouragement, words of life. Start speaking that into existence. And the thoughts you think, as we said earlier, will become the life that you create and that you ultimately live. I think you finished on probably what is one of the most relevant today, given how much noise is out there and negativity, especially in, in, let's say, for what it is, social media and the media, which can be bombarding. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. When everyone else... Is, is screaming bloody murder, the person that smiles, people will gravitate towards. Oh, that's great. And it will grow. Love that. I, I've, I've said it before. It was amazing how we'd be in certain situations, outnumbered, getting our 
you know what's handed to us. Um, and one guy would crack a joke. Everyone would laugh, and we'd look at each other and say, hey, are we good? We're good. Let's do oh, this. That's awesome. Done. John, I, I'm good to finally uh, meet, again, a mentor through, through readership. Um, you've impacted millions. Where can people best find you uh, besides purchasing your books on – if you guys go to Amazon, just click uh, John Gordon. It's got all his books. Where, where would you tell people to start? JohnGordon.com, J-O-N-Gordon.com, or Twitter, Instagram, at J-O-N-Gordon11. But I would say you start with the energy bus. Start with the energy bus. I always bus. say you start yours. with the energy bus. Okay. That's the book that everyone seems to read. It's my most popular book. I would say start there. My favorite book is Training Camp that I've written, What the Best Do Better Than Everyone Else. I love that book. But, but, but energy buses, I would say start there, but definitely read The One Truth because it will take your mind and your state of mind and your ability to help others to a whole other level when you understand this book. And it's a simple read. You can literally read this book in like two days. So I would say I would say read The One Truth, but start with The Energy Bus. Thanks for, for sharing that. Absolutely. Well, John, thank you for joining us. For everyone else, thanks for listening. A, just a reminder, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your platform is. Like, review, share, especially with the reviews. That's how we get better. Just keep it professional and tactful, uh, <laughs> unlike the keyboard cowards. But no, we, we appreciate every f- piece of feedback that you give us on the podcast and even more guests that you want to see. All right, guys. Thanks.